I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. The smell of freshly cut grass. It's a scent we all know and love and that some have even tried to bottle. But did you know that what we're actually smelling is a whole host of volatile chemicals that grass releases when it gets cut? A sort of distress signal, if you will. Yet a reaction that was originally meant to deter insects chomping down on its many bright green leaves has evolved into an aroma that today many of us enjoy. Today's show is an ode to the scent, sight, touch and myriad other ways that grass livens up our gardens. We'll be hearing from RHS scientists and organic gardeners about the world-renowned British lawn and its new nemesis, artificial grass. And I'll be taking you with me into my back garden to teach you how to lay some turf. Plus, we'll be heading to Dunsborough Park to explore how they plant bulbs now for their famed tulip meadow come spring. Welcome to Gardening with the RHS, with me, Guy Barter. For many people, when they think of gardens, they think of grass. Yet in today's fast pace of life, the maintenance and upkeep can sometimes feel a bit tedious, which is just one of the reasons why artificial grass is experiencing bumper sales. But how does artificial grass compare to the real thing? We spoke to two experts, one from the RHS and the other a landscape gardener, to find out more. Good day. I'm Dr. Mark Gush, Head of Environmental Horticulture in the Science Division of the RHS. In 2018, the RHS took the step of banning exhibitors from retailing artificial or plastic grass at its shows. And in 2021, this was extended to a complete ban on any use of plastic grass at RHS shows or gardens. This RHS appeal to avoid the use of plastic grass is being made to the public as a whole, and the motivation for this stance is the conviction, based on strong scientific evidence, that plastic grass is categorically bad for the environment. This is in the sense that any area of plastic grass effectively eliminates the potential of that land to deliver environmental benefits that could otherwise be realized from that area of ground. With climate, biodiversity and well-being challenges increasingly being felt, gardens are a vitally important resource to help combat these, particularly in urban areas. However, by covering gardens over with plastic grass, their natural ability to yield benefits such as oxygen production, cooling, carbon capture and biodiversity support are severely hampered. It's not just that the beneficial aspects of natural grass and plants are inhibited, it is that there are also some really detrimental aspects of artificial grass such as poorer soil health, significantly higher surface temperatures, 
and the fact that the product is not recyclable and will ultimately end up in landfill. We know that sustainability is hugely important. The RHS would like to encourage everyone to use real grass and flowers in their gardens for the many benefits and enjoyment they provide us and the natural world. My name's Ellie and I am co-presenter of the Wildlife Garden podcast with my partner Ben. And by day, we are wildlife gardeners. And on the podcast, we like to give advice on the best way to help wildlife in your garden. We wholeheartedly agree with everything that Dr. Gush just said. And it's absolutely fantastic that the RHS has really got behind banning the use of artificial grass in its gardens and shows. By putting it down in your garden, you essentially create an ecological desert. And that's in an area that is rapidly becoming the last refuge of wildlife in the UK. It sheds microplastics as well as being really difficult to recycle. And what we're actually finding is that it's largely non-gardeners who are putting it down. These are people that are maybe looking for zero maintenance, which of course is a bit of a myth in gardening because you have to maintain things when leaves are dropping on your artificial grass. You have to control the smell of pets if you've got pets using your artificial grass. You can buy sterilizers. You can buy hundreds of pounds worth of equipment to brush and hoover your artificial grass. So it's really not a zero maintenance option. We would actually like to see a ban of the use of artificial grass in gardens. We don't think there's a use. We think that there is always an alternative, no matter how tricky your situation is. Plants are very versatile. It just requires a little bit of thinking about what is best for your space. So yeah, we really welcome a ban in the future. And hopefully that will come in as we realize how detrimental artificial grass is to our wider environment. The one moment that made me really realize that artificial grass was a bad idea was when I saw mining bees mining in amongst short mown grass in a garden. Because actually, it's a bit of a myth that short grass is bad for wildlife. There's plenty of things that can still use it. And I'll be talking a little bit about how you can actually maximize that later on. But by putting down artificial grass, you lose all that potential for wildlife habitat creation. And it would just be hugely detrimental to a garden to get rid of that element of it. What we tend to ask our clients is really, do you need a lawn? Because a lot of people, I think, have lawns in their garden because they think that that's what you should have in a garden. But unless you've got pets or maybe children, you don't often need a huge area of flat green plants to maybe lay on or have picnics on. So that's the first question we ask. And quite often, it's a really good idea to maybe reduce the area of lawn if you don't really need it. If, however, you do have pets or children or really fancy laying out a big blanket in the summer, then there are lots of ways of making it ecologically friendly and more diverse and resilient to the temperatures, the kinds of which we saw in this year. So if I've convinced you to stick with your real lawn, then here is our way of turbocharging it to make it even better for wildlife and for you to look at. We recommend putting down a quintet of plants into your low flowering lawn. And that includes the daisy. I think most people know what a daisy looks like. We also include yarrow, that's Achillea millifolium, with its flat top white flowers and ferny foliage. 
we add self-heal, Prunella vulgaris, which is in the mint family and has little tufts of purple flowers. And birdsfoot trefoil, we would not be without. That's Lotus corniculatus. It's in the pea and bean family, so it has fantastic pollen for pollinators. And likewise, the white clover, Trifolium repens, also in the pea family, with its white, sometimes pinkish pom-pom flower heads, and also is a larval food plant of the common blue butterfly. So those are our five top plants for a low-flowering tapestry lawn. The quintet of plants is actually a really low-maintenance way of having a lawn in your garden. They all stay green. You don't need to worry about them going brown in the summer. They will flower if you leave them, but they will also be quite happy just remaining as leaf on the ground. So you can look to mow them less regularly than a regular grass lawn. They grow less quickly. And they're really fantastic for all of our pollinators and beetles and an absolutely huge number of species. That's our first recommendation. The second recommendation is, of course, to have some sort of wildflower meadow. If you just leave your lawn, even if you're not worried about having flowers come into it, you'd be really surprised about the huge diversity of plants that might be existing in that sward. Lots of people this year did grow a meadow, particularly during No Mow May, and had things like bee orchids pop up in their lawn where they previously not realised that they existed. And that's a really fantastic way of just having an area that you only have to look at almost once a year when you chop it all down, ideally in autumn, so that you minimise impacting on wildlife. Now is actually a really great time to alter your lawn if you would like some of those low flowering alternatives that I've mentioned. We've been busy around Nottingham laying down seed into scarified grass of the five species, our little quintet that I mentioned, and they should all germinate come the spring and start to spread around and create wonderful tapestries where there used to just be one species of grass. If you put in that work now, then you'll be treated next spring to a wonderful, what we call tapestry of different plants, all of which will stay green. They'll flower at different times. You can mow them and keep them as short as you like. And some of them will still flower even when they're very short. And those flowers will go on to feed all manner of bees and beetles and flies and butterflies even. And I think you won't be disappointed with the effect. With a huge diversity of plants that you can choose from in your garden, and by that we also include our lawns, we don't think there's any room for artificial grass in this discussion. We want to wave artificial grass goodbye. You cannot beat a garden full of living, breathing plants, improving the environment in which we live, work and play. Fantastic for our mental health, fantastic for our wildlife, which in turn also improves our own well-being being amongst nature, we just want to say goodbye artificial grass. Thanks there to Mark and Ellie. To hear more from Ellie and her partner Ben, check out the Wildlife Garden podcast. The link will be in the show notes. Ellie gave us some great ideas to think about there for adding plants to lawns. I particularly like the daisy one. Daisies used to drive gardeners mad because they can spread and are quite a difficult plant to control if they get out of hand. But nowadays we're glad to see daisies with their flowers that are so favourable for insects. 
Unfortunately, my lawn is too acid for daisies to grow. So I envy people who've got alkaline soil lawns who can grow nice daisies. But I can make do with things like clover. Clover still invites a whole host of insects and other wildlife, and it also fixes nitrogen, being what is technically known as a leguminous plant. So it doesn't need any fertiliser, and each winter the roots die back and release nitrogen for use by the grass, reducing the need for fertiliser for the lawn as a whole. These are just some examples of things that happen in a real lawn of real plants, and I would certainly never want to replace this marvel of nature with a green plastic carpet. Though the days are getting nippier, we're not in winter yet, which makes now the perfect time to lay some turf as there's still several weeks for your grassy roots to get a good watering and establish themselves while the soil's still warm. I've got a troublesome patch in my own garden that needed dealing with, so earlier in the week I took my microphone with me to talk you through how to lay a lawn. Well, I'm standing in my back garden on a lovely sunny afternoon in October. There's a bit of sun, there's a bit of cloud, there's the old aeroplane zooming around, and the trains into Waterloo rush by the end of the garden every few minutes. This is a great time of year to lay a lawn. It's a bit too late to invest in seed lane. The soil will be getting too cold soon, and the grass will suffer losses over winter. But it's a perfect time for turf. Turf are pieces of lawn, you usually buy them in a roll or as slabs, and they're about two inches, that's 50 millimetres thick, and you lay them on some ground that you've levelled, and then you rely on rain or watering to keep them moist while they root into the underlying soil, which they do pretty quickly in October. They'd root even quicker in July, but you'd have to water like mad, which is not a good thing. It's bad for the environment and it's an extra job that we can avoid by laying lawns in winter. You can lay a lawn in January if the soil's dry enough, but because the soil is cold, it'll take longer to root out. So now is the ideal time. I'm going to lay a bit of turf to mend the lawn here where there's a lot of traffic and it's got very worn and dry during the hot droughty summer and that's worn the grass away. Mostly the grass has come back but in this particular patch it hasn't. Turf's a great way of making a new lawn. It's more expensive than seed but you get a quicker result and the sward is generally better. Sometimes it's futile re-turfing because the area has got so much footfall or it's so boggy or it's so shady you need to think of a different solution. In a sunny, dry area, you can go for gravel, and in shady, wet areas, wood chip paths are worth thinking about. For really high traffic areas, then it's probably best to bite the bullet and invest in an expensive, hard landscaping sort of solution, like bricks or slabs that'll last forever and can take as much traffic as you need. The turf I've got happens to be some that's been left over by one of the, my fellow allotment holders. They're landscape gardeners and they often have the odd patch of turf left over which they add to their compost heaps. But I've begged it off them, so there's a couple of square metres. In garden centres you have to buy a minimum of 30 square metres. Sometimes they have a stock of turf where you could buy the odd slab of a metre or two, but mostly you have to buy a minimum of 30 square metres. And online it's usually 40 or 50 square metres of turf you have to buy. That's an awful lot of turf to buy to mend just one small patch. But I'm fortunate here. If I didn't have any turf to hand, I'd dig up a bit of turf from elsewhere in my garden seed that in the spring and then use that bit of turf to mend the high profile worn bits. The minimum tools you need to lay your lawn are a spade, a fork and a rake. 
and a plank of wood and also an edging iron to cut the edges. The way I prepare the ground is to fork it over to take out the weeds, remove any compaction with the fork, but don't leave the ground lying loose, rake it level and tread it. Raking three times usually consolidates the ground very well, and in this time of year, probably enough. But if it's a dry conditions, then you might want to tread it with your feet, literally walking over it with little pigeon steps, each time pressing the soil down evenly all over. And that should be enough. Well, the first thing to do is to skim off a bit of the old turf, take that off. You can get a special thing called a turf iron, but I don't have one of those. I'm going to have to use my garden spade, which is perfectly good enough. Now let's just fork it over and see if we can get some of these weeds out, and then I'll be ready to trample it and rake it. Now for a bit of trampling. A bit more raking to get it level. And we're ready to pop the turf on. I'm going to push it into place and then tamp it down with the back of the spade and push it up together with my feet and then we'll be ready to just sprinkle some soil on it. Next stage is to sprinkle a bit of soil around it. And then we'll just rake it in. And then we'll come back and we'll do some watering in a minute and then we'll be able to leave it. Although I've cut the turf as exactly as I can, I've made it a little over large, so I'm just going to cut round and just make sure it all meshes in. I will sprinkle some grass seed on the bare patches where it doesn't quite mesh. It might work, it might not. If not, I'll come back in the spring and do some more. In a small garden and a small lawn, I often have to repair odd patches, and it always works very well. And unlike if I'd used seed or done nothing at all, I won't have to stare at a nasty muddy patch all winter. We've been talking a lot about grass on today's show, but of course grass isn't exclusive to manicured lawns or gardens. In the heart of Surrey, gardeners at Dunsborough Park are busy tending to their wild grassy meadow and planting thousands of bulbs now for a stunning display come spring. We managed to grab the owner of Dunsborough Park amidst the hustle and bustle to hear more about the magic of her tulip meadow. I'm Caroline Sveers de Landers Weiborg. We've been living at Dunsborough Park for about uh, nearly 29 years. Here at Dunsborough, we are getting ready to plant our 20,000 tulip bulbs because we want you all to be happy when you all come to our tulip festival next year. The tulip festival started some time ago with only maybe buying 10,000 tulips, which is already a lot, but now we're doing more than 20,000 because it's so very popular. And I've also decided that it was important to show the tulips well, not only like some people do formal, like in the borders where you put them with a certain amount of distance in between the tulips, but also to do a less formal display, like in the meadow. So what we do is we plant formal in the walled garden, and we have different color schemes everywhere. And every year it's different, because that's quite fun, because people come every year, year after year. 
And because people come and see the tulips, I feel they have to see a new bulb. So we plant all the tulips in the formal garden. Then after they have finished flowering, we take them all out. We clean them, we dry them, we store them. And then all the tulips and some new ones as well that we have, we sort of throw them in the air where they fall. We plant them one by one. And you have a special bulb planter, so you know exactly how deep it will go. I do it quite deep, between 10 and 15 centimeters. And of course, you have the pointed end has to be up. So when you do that in the grass, in the meadow, you don't know what the result is going to be. And it's all mixed, early tulips, middle tulips, late tulips, fringe tulips, double tulips. They come up. And it's like a magic, magic carpet of color because you've mixed it all. So there's complete contrast to what we do in the formal areas where we know exactly which color is where. And the meadow is always like a wow factor for people. And I'm trying to improve on it because tulips normally last, they say forever, but that's not true. For a couple of years, the older they are, the smaller they get. So you have to every year add tulips to it. And then you get this wonderful carpet of this carpet of colors. Our bulbs come from Holland and it's been a little bit complicated since Brexit, I'm afraid. We get it very late. We get it in week 44 or 45 uh, because they in Holland can store it better than I can. The bulbs are very good quality, so there's no mold on them and they're big. So we check them, we start planting them. The planting begins from the moment they arrive until the middle of December. You want to do it before the frost comes. I think the meadow and the tulips is more like a romantic feel, which I don't think you can create with artificial grass. But if you can't do real grass because you have no time or you can't look after it, you can sort of make this romantic feeling maybe by buying a nice couple of pots and put your tulips in the pots. The only thing is that if you want this wow factor in the meadow, you need to plant at least 150 bulbs. If you have a pot and you put four bulbs in there, it's not going to work. But if you put let's say 10 bulbs in there, then you get a much better wow factor. I must say, I do like apple dorns, which are very strong tulips. They have the most amazing variation of colors. And we go from red to orange to yellow. And you see the coloring from red going all the way to yellow. And I think that's really lovely. Some people like to mix the tulips with different colors. You can do pink and there's also a tulip that's called Shirley that is white with a pink rim. And if you combine the two, that's a big contrast. We have badgers, unfortunately, and we have lots of birds and squirrels who come as well. They love the bulbs, so that's not so good. In the little river, we have ducks and swans, and we have lots of bees and lots of animals around Dansburg. They really like it here. What's so nice about the tulips is that you really think, you know, this is the beginning, 
of spring and the frost has gone. It's very important to have a bit of frost in January or February, otherwise the tulips come out earlier. So when the tulips start growing, it makes me happy. And also when I can get all the different parts of the garden with different colors, I just love walking around with my dogs. And though they have to be under control because otherwise they will maybe damage the tulips. You know, it's the beginning of spring and hopefully a good year. And yeah, it gives me a happy feeling. Thanks, Caroline. Caroline mentioned how certain wildlife, squirrels and badgers, are apt to dig up and devour freshly planted and not cheap bulbs, which one really doesn't want. I'm going to have the same problem in my little tiny meadow in my back garden when I plant a load of tulips out there shortly. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put down some chicken netting over the top of my newly planted tulips, which would be a hard job to, for Caroline in her large meadow, but an easy matter in my small back garden, and that would deter the squirrels from digging them up. Although we've got badgers quite close by, they seldom venture into my garden, so I won't have to worry about badgers. I hope you've been inspired to plant some tulips. Happily, tulips are not fussy about when they're planted. Alliums and narcissi are best planted in September, though they do well enough planted later, though after the new year it gets a bit tricky. But tulips you can plant at any time through October and November, and many people think November planting is actually better because it gives less opportunity for disease. And tulips are the very simplest of things to plant. You make a hole three times the bulb's height and put the bulb in the bottom and refill the soil. And that is all there is to it. All the hard work's been done for you by the bulb growers. The only downside of tulips is that they don't always come back very well the following year. But you never know, nothing ventured and all that. Often they'll persist for a few years and sometimes they establish themselves and go on for year after year. Many quotes out there about the grass being greener, but I'll be honest, I don't mind if the grass is patchy, sun-scorched or even boggy. It's a living, ever-evolving part of our ecosystem, which to me will always be more exciting than a static ornamental carpet. But that's it for now. So from me, Guy Barter, goodbye. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. 
Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.